The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Hamilgarn, registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and you are listening to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. Today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Steph Larson. Steph is Assistant Director of Organizing with the Center for Rural Affairs based in Lyons, Nebraska. Steph, welcome. Thank you so much, Melinda. It's great to be here. Well, I'm thrilled because I think the Center for Rural Affairs is a little secret organization that maybe not a lot of people know about, and I think you're doing great work. You, you mentioned that you have a staff of 30, and being located in Lyons, Nebraska, you really understand rural affairs, I think, like no other organization. So first, tell us what the center does. Sure. You hit the nail on the head with some of the principles that we live by. One of them is that we're a part of rural America, and rural America is part of us. So we are in Lyons, Nebraska. The population is 853, and we're in kind of an area between Omaha and Sioux City, Iowa. It's in the eastern half of Nebraska, and we have a staff of about 30, half of which are located here in our office based in Lyons, and then the rest are scattered throughout the state of Nebraska. The Center for Rural Affairs has kind of two basic arms of our work. And one is really work doing direct service with people in rural communities, trying to help them either gain skills that they need or access information or, or in some cases, agricultural markets that they need to push their products. So, for example, we have about eight or nine small business specialists scattered throughout the state of Nebraska who would help rural entrepreneurs and rural small business owners get skills that they need to make their businesses successful. We do loans for up to $50,000 so that those businesses can expand or get started. We do a lot of teaching. I like to explain it as you can teach someone accounting skills where you can't teach them a good work ethic or you can't, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's much harder to teach them how to have drive, but you can teach them accounting. And so those are the types of things that we do in small business. We also do those things with farmers in helping folks have a conservation plan or transition to organic or we have a program called LandLink, which attempts to link retiring farmers with beginning farmers to try and transition that land to the next generation of farmers. And is that a national program? It is, yeah. We have a database of both landowners and beginning farmers, and we do our best to try and, you know, get them connected, and yeah, it's a national. Um, are you the only organization doing this? We are not, no. Though it's, we've been doing LandLink for a very long time. i I want to say that we were the first to hatch upon this idea, but I don't know that for sure. I do know that California has a land link program. I know that there are several other successful similar programs in other parts of the country, but we base ours out of the Midwest, but you know, we would post anyone who wanted to try and link up their farm or I just want to say that I think that's probably 
one of the most important jobs the center does, although the center certainly does many things. But I meet so many young people who want to farm but don't have access to land. And at the same time, I meet older farmers who worry about who to pass their farm onto when they can no longer farm. And I'm delighted to know that about LandLink, and I'm going to help spread the word because I, I think it's such a sorely needed service. Thank you. That's great. The other part of the work that we do at the Center for Rural Affairs is more policy-related. So we have a research program, a policy program, and organizing program that takes issues that matter to rural communities and tries to connect rural people to their legislators. I like to say that my job is getting rural people excited about democracy. Mm -hmm. So participating in our democratic process and mostly in the past few years, that work has focused on farm policy, but also health care and health insurance reform and also small business policy. Mm-hmm. So I've personally I've been working a lot on healthcare reform trying to help rural people understand why health reform was necessary before it passed and now that it has passed helping people understand what it means for their businesses their families their communities how health insurance is going to change in the coming years and what they can do to prepare for that and how they're already benefiting from the Affordable Care Act that passed in March of 2010. Well, I get so enraged when I hear people complain about reform in health care because, like you, of course, I run into people within the healthcare community who really don't have access to health care. And after visiting your site and learning more about the research that you've done, the statistics in rural America are absolutely astounding. I want to help our listeners maybe understand some of the complexities of the issues. So if we go to the Center for Rural Affairs website, and I should just mention that that is www.cf, as in Frank, ra.org, you can click on healthcare reform and just see a whole long list of a series in What is the Affordable Care Act? What are the principles involved? How can we get involved in health care reform? But you've got a great fact sheet. And from this fact sheet, I pulled out a statistic that blew me away. Over 80% of rural counties are medically underserved. Whoa. That means that they don't have the doctors that they need. Especially, I think, in rural communities, mental health is woefully inadequate. You know, we don't have counselors, we don't have therapists that people need in order to have healthy lives. And so the Center for Rural Affairs does work in a number of different states around health care. And I have been doing a lot of work in Montana. There are counties that don't have doctors where you have to go hundreds of miles to have a baby. Mm. And that just is really disturbing to me. We need to have ways to deliver health care to people regardless of where they live. Mm-hmm. So should we talk about additional problems? And when you said mental health care, that's also a sore spot, especially because so many young people from rural communities went over to serve our country in Iraq, and they come back and they are very much in need of mental health care. It's interesting to note that a disproportionate number of 
the soldiers in the military are from rural communities. You're absolutely right. And that's what we're seeing from veterans coming home is that they absolutely need those mental health services, that suicide rates are tragically up. And at the center, we're actually trying to do a little bit towards that end, too. We've got a partnership going on right now with a group trying to guide some of these returning veterans into farming. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you know, and especially in this economy, veterans are looking to do something new and trying to figure out where their skills can be most useful, and a lot of people are turning to farming. You mentioned earlier, Melinda, that some of the challenges for young farmers include access to land and access to health care, and that's absolutely true. I would say that those are two of the top three challenges for beginning farmers. And that's especially true for returning veterans if you don't have good credit coming in, if you don't have a work record outside mm-hmm. of the military. Those are all difficulties that need to be overcome. Mm-hmm. And we should just let our listeners know, too, that the Young Farmers Coalition that we're talking about around the edges, the Young Farmers Coalition did a survey, I believe, I want to say it was a 1,000 farmers nationwide, and it was lack of access to land, lack of access to health care, and lack of access to capital. So I see the Center for Rural Affairs addressing all three of those components plus more. Absolutely. Okay, so let's get back to health care because I just think your work in this area is phenomenal and there are so many issues that people may not understand. And one of the issues that I hear, small business owners will say, well, you know, we really can't afford, they don't want health care reform, and yet they sorely need it because it's oftentimes the cost of health care that's pulling them under. Mm-hmm. So talk about that a little bit. One of the interesting things about being a small business owner is that you're oftentimes competing against people with 10, 20, 50, 100 times more employees than you have as a small business owner, or, you know, a 1,000 times, 100,000 times. And with that number of employees comes the fact that they can get their insurance much cheaper because the pool of people that they're trying to insure is much larger. So it's really difficult for small business owners to be able to provide health insurance for their employees. And because of that, they can't compete with some of these large businesses. Talented people are not going to come into a business where they may have to take a pay cut and not have health insurance and not have the job security that you might have with a large employer. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the Affordable Care Act does is create what's called a shop exchange for small businesses where it's a marketplace where small businesses can pull together all of their employees um, because that's what makes health insurance more expensive for small businesses is you only have a, if you only have a few employees, that risk is only spread across three, four, five, ten people. That's right. If you pull everybody together in what's called the shop exchange, then the risk is spread out over lots more people and the price will come down. The same concept is what we see in the individual exchanges or marketplaces as I tend to refer to them as. Mm -hmm. So in these marketplaces, individuals who right now maybe are paying a $10,000 deductible plus 
several thousand dollars a month to be insured as individuals because your risk is only spread across yourself or mm-hmm. within your family. And so insurance companies see that as a bad risk and your premiums are extremely high. Mm-hmm. With these marketplaces, all of those people who would be buying as individuals in the insurance market are now going to be pooled together. The risk is going to be spread out over everybody. And in some cases, depending on what the state chooses, the small businesses are going to be in that pool too. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that all those people together will then bring down the premium costs and make it more affordable and more competitive for small businesses to insure their employees. That's the goal. In the end, the point of the Affordable Care Act is to ensure many more people, make sure that everyone has access to the health care that they need. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways that this law is helping to do that. What's interesting is that you're right, there was a lot of resistance to the Affordable Care Act when it passed, but it did pass. And since then, since March of 2010, a lot of people were surprised to see that coverage by small businesses went up a substantial amount in 2010 and 2011. Now, that's because Right now, small businesses can get a tax credit for their employees. Started out at 35%. I think right now it's at 50%. If you're a business that pays for a portion of your employees' health insurance, you can get right now up to a 50% tax write-off on the portion of the premium that you pay for your employees. And that's caused a lot of small business owners to make the choice to cover their employees. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Steph Larson. She is the Assistant Director of Organizing for the Center for Rural Affairs based in Lyons, Nebraska. Steph, I think that you know, one of the points that's made here on the fact sheet for healthcare in rural America is that our goal is really to put as many people in the pool as possible. So in an ideal situation, we would have some sort of universal, continuous, and affordable health care. And my fear is that, depending on how the election turns out, that we might lose, we might, you know, take a few steps back. And, oh, my, we have so much to lose. And I'm sure you've heard many tragic stories working with communities in rural America. Can you share some of the problems that people are facing that health care reform could help? Sure. One of the things that we have heard a lot of in rural places is medical debt, uh, mm. forcing people into bankruptcy and making them lose their farms, lose their homes. If you don't have health insurance and you get in a farm accident or you get a disease, let's say you, someone in your family is diagnosed with cancer, those diseases can be so difficult, so expensive to treat. And, of course, you don't want your family member to suffer, to die because right. of lack of health care. And so you're going to do what you need to do to make sure that that person has every possible chance. And if that means selling your farm or losing your home, oftentimes for some of these chronic or very serious diseases, that's what can happen to families. And the point of the Affordable Care Act is to make it so that 
that never happens again. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of that we've publicized where people have lost their farms or houses, their life savings, because of a disease or an accident that was completely unexpected. They did everything right. Maybe they even had insurance, but it didn't cover what they thought it would. That's another thing that's important to realize about the Affordable Care Act is that insurance companies have created this situation where they're not really regulated and they're not really abiding by good ethical business principles. And so one of the things that the Affordable Care Act does is kind of tighten those regulations back up to protect consumers from these insurance companies so that we don't see, for example, 25% increases, 30%, 40%, 50% annual increases in people's premiums for no reason, which is what's been happening across the country before the Affordable Care Act passed. Now, One of the things that is already in effect right now is something called the medical loss ratio. Now, what's that? That means that an insurance company has to spend 85% of your premium dollar on actual medical care. It might not be your medical care, but somebody's medical care. So that leaves 15% for their CEO salaries and expensive vacations and, like, administrative costs, whatever, new computers, I don't know. I don't know what they spend it on. But it means that they actually have to spend that on medical care for people. And so they can't just say, oh, you know what, we want to increase our profits this year. Let's up everybody's premium another 20%. They won't be able to do that anymore, and that's really good news for the consumer. Absolutely. Well, you've got a list of issues that if you had a magic wand, stuff, and you were going to improve health care for Americans in, in rural communities especially, probably one of the first things you might do, I'm assuming, and I'll let you answer this question too, but I'm assuming having more providers in rural communities. And how do we get providers in rural communities? Do we provide incentives? We need the infrastructure but then we also need the warm bodies to to man those clinics. Any thoughts? Absolutely. Uh, there are a number of programs that are trying to figure out why do we have workforce shortages in rural communities? What is it about the practice of rural medicine that makes it not as appealing to doctors, nurses, and health practitioners? Some of it is that our education system is centered in urban communities. So if you're a doctor, let's say, or you're a nurse, you probably went to college in an urban area. You did your medical training in an urban area. Perhaps you have a spouse and they have a job in an urban area. Urban medicine is different than rural medicine. In rural medicine, you really have to be a master of everything, mm-hmm. you know, because At one point, you may be seeing patients about end-of-life issues, and literally the next five minutes, you're delivering a baby. Right. So you need to be well-versed in every aspect of medical care, and that's really intimidating to some doctors. Mm -hmm. If you're the only doctor, or maybe there are two or three in a community, that means that you're on call a lot. Mm. 
And yet, you also have a much different relationship to your patients than you might say at a Cook County Hospital in in Chicago, for example. You mm-hmm. actually know these people. You can develop a relationship with them in a way that you can't do at a big urban hospital. Mm-hmm. So part of, I think, a lot of the attempts to deal with workforce shortages is to train rural people in medical professions and kind of a grow-your-own scenario. Instead of trying to recruit people who are doctors into rural communities, why not train rural people who aren't intimidated by small towns, who like the, the pace of rural communities? Why not train them in the medical professions instead of trying to teach someone who's used to an urban area to love rural? So that's in the Affordable Care Act, there are, there are some programs like that that are trying to help encourage more rural people to go into the medical professions. Mm-hmm. What else do you think it would take to change healthcare in rural America? I think that, quite frankly, having everyone insured is going to make things much different for rural communities. Right now, lots of rural people just can't afford it. Right. Or for lots of farmers or lots of entrepreneurs, they can't dedicate the time that they need to make their enterprise successful because they have to have a full-time job in town because of the health insurance. Exactly. Myself, I have a farm. And at this point, I don't think I would want to enjoy my job. I don't really want to go full-time on the farm. But it's an option in the future, but I can't do that unless I have health insurance. And that's something that my job provides me right now. So I can't really, Mm -hmm. you know, make the farm a full-time business even if I wanted to. In interviewing farmers, this consistently comes up is that they can't really have a farm family and they can't really devote the time and energy needed to run that farm because somebody on that farm has to work off the farm for health insurance. Right, right. And exactly. And same is true for any kind of business, not just farming, but small businesses, especially if you're just starting out, take so much time and effort. And if you're trying to do that in the evenings and on the weekends, let me tell you, it's really exhausting. Yes. Well, you know, you mentioned that health care itself is different in a rural community. But I think also the flip side of that is the kind of health needs are different. So you've got your normal, your birth and your death issues, but you've also got diseases that are related to the profession. So another thing that the Center for Rural Affairs, for example, has focused on is the lack of access to food, believe it or not, right? In in, in farmland, we've got lack of access to food, go figure. Mm -hmm. But also the diseases that go along with that. So there's higher rates of obesity, but there are also diseases that are related to farm chemical use. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be uh, higher rates of Parkinson's for individuals who use certain kinds of pesticides. Cancers are rampant in some farm communities related to farm chemicals. Where do people go for care for those conditions? That's a great question, and unfortunately, there's no good answer to it at this point. There are um, one additional way that rural medicine is different than urban places is that we have a disproportionate number of elderly Mm. in our rural communities, and a lot of people who can't get to the doctor 
at the intervals that they need to. Lots of folks who can't drive, who can't get the food that they need to maintain a good, healthy, active lifestyle. As you were mentioning, you know, food is a, is a big issue in that case. I find it interesting that in an urban area, a food desert is defined as more than one mile to a full-service grocery store. And in a rural community, a rural food desert is more than 10 miles. Mm. We don't have public transportation out here, so if you don't have a car or you don't have the ability to drive, your ability to get the food that you need and to be healthy is severely curtailed, and that can really affect a lot of people's health. You know, growing children especially, too, Mm. need fruits and vegetables. They need that healthy food in order to grow and develop, and that can be really difficult depending on your distance to a grocery store. Steph, we just have one minute left. (laughs) I knew our time would fly, and you must come back. But I'm sure there are questions I didn't ask you that maybe you were hoping I'd ask. Are there any issues that you want to bring to our listeners that I neglected to bring up? Oh, that's a good question. One of the things that I would say is that the Affordable Care Act was extremely contentious before it passed. Lots of people have very strong opinions about how it happened and why it happened. But the fact of the matter is that it is now the law of the land. And... Barring the Supreme Court striking it down, it is going to continue, and it's important for everyone to understand how it's going to impact them and finding out your individual situation of what's this going to do to your family, how is this going to affect your community, you know, and I'm really excited for the ways that it's going to positively impact rural communities. So... I guess I would just say for for folks who are feeling anywhere along the spectrum from very negative about the Affordable Care Act to kind of neutral, unsure, not really knowing how this is going to impact, please, please start asking questions. Do some research. Look at the Center for Rural Affairs website, you know, or other, many other organizations who are dedicated to health issues and find out the truth, the the real information about how the Affordable Care Act is going to impact us. Starting in 2014, the federal government is going to be able to give us subsidies if we can't right now afford health insurance that no one will have to pay more than 10% of their income towards health care if they're low or moderate income. That's huge. Such an amazing gift that um, Mm -hmm. the federal government has given us. We really need to have an open mind about how this can positively impact our communities. Well, I think that the Center for Rural Affairs and your work there has made this topic, this is the clearest explanation that I've seen anywhere, not only with regard to the health care for rural America, but health care in general and what the Affordable Care Act means. So I just want to remind our listeners to please go to the Center for Rural Affairs website if you want to understand more about rural community issues that are affecting rural communities, the the big umbrella term of health care, and many other topics that are affecting the food that we put on our plates. And so what happens in rural America affects us all. The Center for Rural Affairs website, again, is www.cfra.org. 
Steph, uh, I just want to thank you for your work. It's exceptional. And we've been speaking with Steph Larson. She is the Assistant Director of Organizing for the Center for Rural Affairs. And I really want you to come back and talk some more about these topics because you're bright, you're young, you're enthused, and you're doing wonderful work. So thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me, Melinda. It's been a pleasure. Well, and I want to remind our listeners, too, that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you for joining us, and thank you, Steph.